Welcome to another episode of This is the Author in Conversation, a more intimate behind-the-mic chat with our authors in the audiobook studio. This is Jennifer Rubens from Penguin Random House Audio, and I'm thrilled to invite you into my conversation with Emily Newberger, the author of A Tender Thing, a beautiful debut novel set under the dazzling lights of late 1950s Broadway. I should mention that this was recorded right before Broadway went dark due to the COVID-19 crisis and before we were quarantined to our respective homes. So Emily and I were able to be together in a studio to talk about what it means to be a theater person, the unique challenge of writing and then recording lyrics from a fictional musical, and of course learn more about her debut novel and why she wanted to narrate it. Her book has since been named by Playbill.com as one of 11 books for theater lovers to read in spring 2020. And it's definitely a way for us all to be able to experience a bit of Broadway magic at home right now. I should also add, as you'll learn, that not only is Emily an MFA graduate and grant recipient at Brooklyn College's fiction program, but she's also a talented performer and a trained vocalist. She's even performed at Carnegie Hall in Stephen Schwartz's birthday celebration, and she once sang for Stephen Sondheim at the Music Institute of Chicago. Wow. So listen in as Emily and I discuss A Tender Thing. Enjoy. Hi, this is Jennifer Rubens from Penguin Random House Audio, and I'm so excited to be in the studio today with debut author Emily Newberger, who wrote A Tender Thing. Hi, Emily. Hi. I am so happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And you just you. wrapped recording yes. of your audiobook. Yes, yes. How do you feel? I feel great. It was such an amazing experience. That's so great. Yes. I feel really lucky that I was able to do it. I just asked, and they said yes. <laughs> I mean, well, and as we'll get into, I mean, you have a history as a performer, which yes, is a really yes. special and rare thing, I think, for the average author. But yes. do you want to tell us first a little bit about A Tender Thing? Yes. So A Tender Thing is a historical fiction novel set in 1958 in both Wisconsin and New York City. And it's about a young woman who moves to Manhattan to audition for the Broadway lifestyle, essentially. And she ends up meeting a composer who she has been a fan of for her whole life, and they have a friendship. And he casts her in the earliest renditions of his newest musical called A Tender Thing, which is also the first fully integrated musical on Broadway at the time. And by fully, I mean there were other integrated musicals, but they weren't quite so integrated either backstage in the business sense or on stage where the characters both had equal stage time and speaking time. And so she's cast in this musical in 1958, which is both the golden age of musical theater and the dawn of the civil rights movement. And she and her co-star, Charles, who is a black man, are sort of thrust into this role of both Broadway stars and political chess pieces, and neither of them is prepared for that. And Eleanor, the main character, is also unprepared to be a leading lady on Broadway at the same time. So it's sort of a coming of age as well as a coming of, I think, awareness, a coming yeah. of awareness in that she's learning a lot about her own shortcomings and biases and prejudices yeah. as well as her own sense of herself as an adult woman moving through the world romantically and in a business sense and There's a as lot a in there. And I've yeah. never heard that term coming of awareness before. Yeah, I well, like that's that. what I was thinking about her. It's like she's coming of age and yeah. she's realizing how sheltered she was and how much that shelter 
like, translated into prejudice. Yeah. And then the more she sees, the more she changes and realizes how she was wrong in the past. I mean, I initially was attracted to the book because, full disclosure, as I know that you are, I am a theater person down to my oh, yes. very core. <laughs> so when I, the minute I even saw the front cover of the galley in the office, I was like, oh, I have to read this book. And then I oh, had you. the pleasure. <laughs> I mean, really, but truly. But I, I was also so surprised as I went through that it's a wonderful, exciting theater story, but it's so much more. And what made you decide to set it in 1958? How did you come to that? decision? Well, I love the musicals of that time. Um, I mean, the whole Rodgers and Hammerstein era is sort of centered around the 50s. The Sound of Music opened in the 60s, and some of the earlier musicals are from the 40s, but that's like their heyday, as well as West Side Story opened in 1957, which was really inspirational for the musical A Tender Thing, which I made up, but um, <laughs> other musicals like The Music Man from that time and which all My Fair Lady, Guys and Dolls. Yeah, I mean, they're like some of the most well-loved musicals, but um, Rodgers and Hammerstein especially are just really important to me growing up. I just loved their musicals. And in college, I studied voice. Yeah, I'm a soprano, and so I sang a lot of that music. Yeah. Nowadays... The types of musicals that are being produced, I find harder physically for me to sing. They're like rock music Mm -hmm. or the types that my voice doesn't really lend itself to as well. And so I got really familiar with the repertoire from that time period and also learned something, which is what ended up inspiring the book, that the musicals as they were produced on Broadway were very different than the movies that were made out Mm -hmm. of them. And I think the perception of musicals from that time as being very light or sweet is a lot due to Hollywood censorship and Hollywood's family, like PG coding that they put on a lot of those movies. And if you look at the lyrics, they were changed. They were a little bit grittier on Broadway and the themes were a little bit more pronounced, the more difficult themes. And Rodgers and Hammerstein were really experts at bringing these difficult themes onto a Broadway stage in a way that looked very smooth and very palatable. Yeah. And that to me was so interesting, how musical theater could always be doing these beautiful dance numbers and things like that, as well as telling these more difficult stories and making people believe things that they didn't necessarily walk into the theater believing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I feel like you must hate this too when somebody says like, oh, I don't like musicals, you know, and you're like, but, you know, that's like saying you don't like books. I mean, there's so many different kinds and they're not just one thing. And I think it's so dismissive of such a rich, deep art form that can offer so many different kinds of viewing experiences and emotional experiences to so many people that I think, you know, that's an interesting point you make about the movies versus the stage experiences. stage experiences. And also that time, I think, the 50s also has this reputation as being this, you know, like Donna Reed kitchen housewife type of time. And in some ways it was this conservative time. And in other ways, there was all this broiling disruption that was just about to come out in the 60s. And so it's not that people were, you know, just better behaved or more family oriented in these times or more. So I I think it's the same sort of misconception that people have about musicals. And so that's why I was attracted to that time period in musical theater. That's really interesting. And I was just discussing with the producer that you really presented yourself with such an amazing challenge here because when you write a book and you're creating this musical from scratch yourself, a tender thing, you are writing lyrics and songs and you have in your head what this musical will be. But then 
when you do the audiobook. Oh, All yeah. of a sudden, there's this <laughs> added layer of responsibility to your you know, fictional creation. Yeah. So what was that like? Did you already have the music and lyrics in your head when you were writing it? Or did that come later? And then adding on the layer of recording it for the audiobook? Can you kind of yeah. talk about what that was like? Well, actually, in the original draft of the book, in the draft that I submitted to my editor when it first yeah. when I first finished it there were a lot more lyrics from different songs in the book and when I wrote the book originally I had like two docs where I had like the musical and the yeah. manuscript and I had full songs written for the oh, musical wow. the lyrics of those songs and then naturally when I've written lyrics in the past for just other things or for this book the melody sort of comes into my head with the rhythm of the lyrics and the rhythm of the syllables and I mean, I'm a musician. I have a music degree. And yeah. I've been a singer since, you know, my whole life. So it goes there when I see lyrics on a page and rhymes. And so the melodies were sort of in my head already. And we cut a lot of the songs out of the book just for space or clarity. We wanted to have a few of the songs repeat several times yeah, because we wouldn't have space to include the whole song. We were worried it would be confusing to keep showing snippets from different numbers and have to establish the whole scene of where that number fit in the show. So when it came time to record the songs that were in the audiobook, I'd already had the melodies in my head. I had to think about you know, what part of the song the lyric was coming in? Like, yeah. is it the end? Are they going to take the high note? Or is it going to be in the middle of the song where they would, you know, the soprano wouldn't go up to the high note in the middle of the song? That kind of stuff I had to think about for the audiobook. But otherwise, it was there already. That's in my really head. Yeah. amazing. <laughs> and so, of course, it's like you had to do this. I mean, the, the music literally lives within yeah. you. And what a cool opportunity to get to really bring yeah, it to life. Yeah, it was life. really good. That's why I wanted to read the, is yeah. the, the singing. I figured another narrator would probably have to speak the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And to me, Eleanor... She's a singer, and yeah. I imagined her voice as being different than mine, but having her sing was important to me. And having it be the same voice that's yeah. reading her thoughts as well as doing the singing, because it's just such a part of her identity. Right. I'm so excited. I've read the book, but I'm really excited oh, to hear thanks. the audiobook. I feel like it's almost like getting to see the show now. I get to hear <laughs> what the music really is, even yeah. though in my head I wish I there could have... be an orchestra, because that's so much a part of the book, too. And that's is it too like, much yeah. to bring an orchestra in? <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a little expensive. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Maybe for the sequel. <laughs> um, and I'm curious... You know, there's so much that you say. There's one line that stuck out to me in particular. You said, when a story is well told, I begin to feel like the character's feelings are my own. That's something that your character, Eleanor, yeah. says. But I imagine, is that how you felt going into the audiobook especially? This was your chance to really actually tell the story the way you get to tell it when you're on stage, even if you haven't yeah. written it. But in this case, you did. But <laughs> Well, that line came from the idea of like watching a play or a musical or for me, reading as well or watching yeah. movies, really anything, the empathy you get as a third party, like as an observer. Yeah. But it was funny reading the audiobook at the very beginning. You know, I am a performer, but I've never done anything like this specifically really? before, like reading like this. Yeah. So at first I was nervous, but then I realized I know these words so well. <laughs> and then it's in third person, so it's not, you know, she's not saying I did this, I did right. that. But it really is a very close third to Eleanor's perspective. So after a while, I could just kind of just lock into her, and yeah. then it was very easy. I didn't have to think about dramatic choices to make. It just sort of flowed because I was so in touch with her emotional 
That's so funny. And that's so much space. of the process that yeah. <laughs> you get to experience through Eleanor reading or listening to the book of how she becomes the character that yeah, John Mannheim created and, and how to yeah. be an actress. So do you usually call yourself a singer or an actress or just a performer in general? Well, I was both. I don't really perform anymore. I still sing. But I was a musical theater performer for like many, many years. And I also performed in a lot of straight plays as well. So I had a music degree in musical theater, which is pretty interesting. <laughs> There's not that many programs that do that. It's yeah. a Bachelor of Music, and it's a vocal performance degree, and most voice degrees are in classical voice. And we were classically trained. We had to take repertoire classes in French and Italian and German, and we had to learn classical repertoire. Yeah. But the bulk of my education was on musical theater music, and we took acting classes and dance classes and speech classes. Wow. So... For a while, it was mostly staggered between acting and singing, and I was never, never really a dancer. But um, the <laughs> singing, dancing, yeah. thing. I think <laughs> I was just step. so attracted to storytelling, and yeah. that can happen through music, or can happen through acting, or writing, or. I don't or narrating. Know. Yeah, or narrating. I, and I love exactly. that you you combine all of those things, and yeah. it's such a beautiful way to really showcase all of your training and talent in so many different ways through this it's novel been such and a recording. Cool opportunity. That's yeah. amazing. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I have a question that we ask a lot of narrators and authors, especially who narrate their own books, because it's not something that they necessarily are used to doing all the time. But was there a word or phrase you realized you didn't know how how to pronounce, even though you knew the words so well to your own book? Well, I learned something. I knew how to pronounce all. The the words, but I realized that almost everyone I've ever heard is misusing a word, and I was too. <laughs> when people say they rifled through a book, yeah, the word rifled through is like if you are ransacking someone's office and you're throwing their stuff around, then yeah. you're rifling through it. But if you're just like shuffling, yeah. the word is riffled. Really? So I had to use, I had I to go back and either. re-record it all as riffled through Gosh. because no one was violently <laughs> looking through their music book. In the book. That is so funny. I, yeah. See, I just learned something too. Yeah. Audiobooks, they teach you we so We had to go things. back and do corrections, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you listen to audiobooks yourself? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to probably about an audiobook a month. That's, yeah. That's great. So where yeah. where's your favorite place to listen? Do you have one? Well, I actually am fortunate enough to walk to work. <gasps> oh, that's and really nice. The one sad thing was that I used to get to read on the subway to work. Mm-hmm. And so I lost about an hour and 20 minutes of reading time round oh, okay. trip. <laughs> and so now I walk and I can listen to a podcast on the way to work. Okay. So, yeah. I love that the people like the only reason you would lament having a shorter commute is that you get less reading time. Yeah, exactly. Less and I can't read listening. while I'm walking. <laughs> but audiobooks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was lucky enough to see you speak to a group of librarians at the end of last year. Yes, and that was so fun. It was. And I, I loved, you had so many wonderful stories to tell both about how this book came to be and then also a little bit about yourself. And there's one thing that stuck out to me that I really want to share with our, oh, with our yeah. podcast listeners, that you used to sing underwater. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? When I was in middle school, I was on the swim team, and I was much more interested in being a singer. And um, <laughs> I had like signed up for the year, so I was, you know, roped into completing my commitment on the swim team, oh. and I hated every minute <laughs> of it. And I used to practice all of my rep underwater, and I thought that 
reasonably, I think. If you sing underwater, no one can hear you because it sounds so muffled. Right. But apparently the water conducts the sound like very, very well to everyone <laughs> around you. And it sounds like this horrible, strangled like, I don't know, like, tortured mermaid sound. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, other people were complaining that there was, like, something underwater. And it was me singing Defying Gravity it was from a Wicked. future <laughs> author and performer. <laughs> they should have bought tickets to hear that. Yeah, and they made an announcement, and I was like, who is that? That's so weird. That's Why would really anyone funny. do that? But one of my friends knew. She was like, that's <laughs> you. It's definitely you. <laughs> that's really funny. Well, it's funny, too. Like, when you're in an audiobook booth, you feel safe and secure and like you know it's just you and then there's this realization like they can hear everything yeah. <laughs> but they can I, hear you swallow the water yes <laughs> but in a pool I would have thought the same thing yeah. so that's like there's some science lessons there too <laughs> and you also said you you talked about your library connection because that was the place that you found so many of oh, yeah. the musical theater scores and cast plays albums, that, cast albums. Yeah. I completely related to that I mean the theater yes. section at my library because I too come from a performing background and that was my safe haven. So yeah. do you want to share a little bit about, you know, your local library and why you loved it so much? Yeah, I um my family moved when I was nine. And one of the first things we did was get a library card. And mm-hmm. I, I grew up going to the library in Long Island where I was born. But when we moved to Illinois. I'm from Long Island. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but when we moved to Illinois, I didn't know anyone. So I would go to the library and get a book like you know, every two days pretty much. But we had a DVD section too where they had these filmed versions of the Sondheim musicals or the Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals where you could watch like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat or Sunday in the Park (laughs) with George. And I've seen them all so many times. But yeah, they had just like such a wonderful selection of sheet music. And that's where I got a lot of my music and I could teach it to myself or eventually take it to my voice teachers. But yeah, I mean, I love that library. I mean, even now the Brooklyn Public Library, I go all the time. It's so wonderful. But yeah. I, I immediately know what that means. I think like, especially reading a book like this, like I said, the minute I saw it was about theater and I was like, I have to read this book and I can't wait to listen to it. But knowing how these libraries have sections that just speak so much to, I mean, whatever you're interested in, but I think, yeah. you know, us talking about being theater kids or theater people, the library, I think just provides such an important haven of I think it's like a link because theater for me and for a lot of kids I see when I was growing up or that I see now it feels like this sort of lofty thing but it's also so special and it's a way to learn I don't know it's it's self-expression but it's also learning about the world and about all the stories that are being told and about art and about New York and the lifestyle here and it's this sort of window out of your world and then I think in the library it can feel like a lofty difficult world to break into if you think about you know auditioning for musical theater programs or how expensive lessons can be and that can feel unattainable but then but then it can can, belong to everybody when you can at at least take a piece from the library or from the bookstore or at least when we had CDs too I was checking out all the cast albums on the CDs too I don't know what they do now I guess they do yeah (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what they have to do I guess Spotify and so let me think oh this is one more question I have for you because you talk about some of the funny warm-ups that Eleanor does as a singer like there's one where she like runs around the room or she bites her tongue to get more moisture in her mouth did you find when you were recording that you were doing any fun or funny vocal warm-ups that might be surprising Um, well I did vocally warm up before. So when she's running around the room, that's not a warm up. 
I did that in college sometimes when you're learning a piece and you're kind of getting in your head about it. My yeah. teacher would have us like run around the room or do squats or like <laughs> just do push-ups. And it's because singing is so respiratory. Yeah. And it's also very physical, but you think it's mental because you're thinking about what you're saying. Right. So if you were too in your head, you'd do something really physical to sort of loosen it all up and just let it out in a physical way and then I was warming up before especially when I had a weekend session in the morning because yeah. your voice is much more tired in the morning because you've been sleeping all day and you haven't been using your vocal folds and they're not conducting the sound as well so yeah. I warmed up in the shower and everything before I would come over here so that I could be clear and not tired and <laughs> having all this air coming through and sound lazy. That's so interesting I think it's it's so funny because I think a lot of fiction authors don't read their own audiobooks and you know so much more about vocal performance and how the voice works and all of these really interesting I think I might know more really... about the voice than I do about writing but it's funny yeah what was your first Broadway show that you ever saw oh my first Broadway show that I ever saw was Mamma Mia oh yeah that's a good I went one. with my family yeah <laughs> and then the first one I saw when I moved to New York was I bought a ticket on my own to see Porgy and Bess, mm-hmm. um, like two days after I moved here. And then at the stage door, Norm Lewis saw me and I think must have seen the like enchantment on my face. Aww. And he invited me backstage. <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like showed me around. And I have That's this picture amazing. with him. Aww. Audra McDonald did not come out, sadly. Um, but. Uh, he was like, you, come back with oh me. I didn't That's ask amazing. him or anything. Yeah, a nice guy. I know. I know. I was like, in, I was 18 and I was like enchanted. Oh, well, that's so, that's yeah. so beautiful to hear. And I so loved going on Eleanor's journey through your book. Oh, and thank you I'm so, so excited to hear it come to life in a whole new way. Thanks to the audiobook. Thank you. I'm so excited for everyone to hear it. Well, thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. And now, listen to a clip from the audiobook. The O'Hanlon farm was devoted mostly to pigs, with stalls for breeding and a large slaughterhouse on the west edge of the property. They also owned a horse barn, an apple orchard, a coop for chickens, and a field where they grew food for the animals. The farm was like a large body, clear yet relentless in its needs. While the animals' appetites stayed consistent and the chores of the day never changed, only occasionally growing more difficult due to weather or workers' illness, Eleanor, who had spent nearly every day of her life on this farm, made mistakes. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.